Welcome to Tell Me What to Google. I'm Michael Kent, and this is a podcast where listeners tell me something they recently learned from the internet that they think I should learn about. Thanks for joining me once again, and before we begin, I just want to take a quick moment to remind you that what you hear in the episode is just a small part of what gets recorded each week. Usually there's about 30 to 40 minutes of unaired content from the guest segments, and all those get posted at Patreon, along with lots of other perks. You can find that over at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. Now, on to the show. Today's topic comes from Michael. Let's listen. Hey, Michael. This is Michael Blackheart. Some time ago, I learned about lost children called foundlings and the orphan trains of the middle 1800s, where tens of thousands of orphan children were shipped in trains from the east coast of the United States into the Midwest. This one's definitely worth a Google, but be careful. This is a deep rabbit hole. Thanks, Mike. Wow. Well, first of all, amazing speaking voice, Michael. If you have a podcast, let me know. I would listen to that. Uh, I've never heard about this before. I'm constantly amazed when I learn about parts of American history that I'd never learned before. Regular listeners to this podcast know that I love aerospace, but I'm a big nerd about trains, too. The kind of nerd that had a model train layout in his basement in high school, like that type of nerd. Maybe I'm just a sucker for transportation or something. We need someone to write in with an interesting fact about cars now. All right, orphan trains. Let's check this out. Okay, there's a lengthy Wikipedia article about orphan trains, and oh, there's a museum. So I spent some time on the Orphan Train Museum's website, which is, by the way, a fantastic resource. They have a thorough history about this, along with newspaper articles, documents, stories, you name it. In the early 1850s, there were a multitude of factors that had compiled in America, contributing to a large population of children placed into orphanages and asylums. Unsafe work environments, mass immigration, epidemics, overcrowding, wars, and a general lack of aid to the poor all contributed to a situation in which children either lost their parents or weren't able to be cared for. In 1853, a man named Charles Loring Brace formed an organization to help care for children like these in New York City. His organization, the Children's Aid Society, began what they called Free Home Placing Out. A train route would be planned for a train to travel west, picking up orphan children in towns along the way. When the train full of children would arrive in a railroad town, flyers would be distributed announcing the arrival and a screening committee would be formed, made up of doctors, priests, teachers, and other local men. They would screen the children, but also help find them homes and match them to local families. This program would place 200,000 children in homes over the next 80 years. For this episode of the podcast, I'd like to welcome a special guest to help us understand the history and the significance of orphan trains. Shaylee George is the curator of the National Orphan Train Complex in Concordia, Kansas. Welcome to the show, Shaylee. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. How are you I doing? Was, I'm fantastic. I was so excited that you were able to, to join us for this. We're doing something different in, in that this is an interview episode. So I figured rather than me learn about it, and tell everyone, you know more about this than I do. We'll just go straight to you and we'll talk to you about the orphan trains. But before we get into the history of orphan trains, tell us about yourself and how you became involved with the National Orphan Train Complex. 
Awesome. So uh, I'm much like you had never heard of the orphan trains growing up, um, which kind of set me on guard when I found out about it because I'm adopted. And so coming into that, I had a fully different, you know, avenue of why I wanted to do anything with the orphan train. Um, and it's because I applied for my job. And then I had a week after I got the interview to learn about the orphan train. Uh-huh. Uh, so a podcast like this would have been very helpful. Um, <laughs> but I did deep dives and realized, oh my gosh, this answers the question I always had of how do we get from um, orphanages to foster care and to adoption. And so when I came into it, I always thank my birth parents because one of the reasons I got a job was I'm adoptive. And then the other was hard. I was able to work with a uh, tools. <laughs> I did a bunch of woodworking and they're like, that'd be helpful. Yeah. So it works out. Um, and so it's been a really special part to come into because I'm adopted. I have that ability to relate to not only obviously orphan train riders, but to families of orphan train riders who desperately want to know who they are in all aspects. And so that's how I, I came in 2014 and I've stayed. <laughs> That's fantastic. And uh, obviously you like the job because you've been mm-hmm. there for, for six years now. Yeah, you know, it's a makes. wonderful place. That's fantastic. Now, I very briefly introduced the topic of orphan trains, but to someone who, like me and like you prior to getting your job, wasn't aware of the existence of orphan trains in the mid-19th century, where do we start? How do we tell this story? So the big part is understanding why, and that's a really complicated answer as to why in the world would charities in New York, Baltimore, other big coastal towns, and then Chicago and Cincinnati, why in the world would they ever need to do this? Um, But it's at a time well before the progressive era when the government starts to get involved and actually help people and do social welfare. And so it's up to churches and special interest groups to begin giving charity. Because although we have taxes at that point uh, with the English poor laws that have influenced our own, it really was up to if you are deserving poor to get help. And that idea still exists today. Um, But then you load on top of that, that people are coming to the city hoping for streets paved with gold. They're immigrating not only from foreign lands, but from domestic states who want a bigger and better opportunity. And then they realize, oh, no, (laughs) New York is not what I thought it was or Baltimore isn't what I thought. You know, even though we go through industrial revolutions and such, it's never going to be that welcoming for everyone. And so when Charles Lauren Brace, the father of the orphan train, starts his movement, It's because he's gone to school, he's been a pastor, he thought he was going to be a teacher, and then he realized, oh, there's a bigger issue. I could start another orphanage. But most orphanages are broken down by age, gender, race, nationality, and legitimacy, which is ridiculous. Uh, And so he wanted to do more. So he starts the Children's Aid Society, and he realizes very quickly, I can start every industrial school, every lodging house, give kids better options, and lobby for child labor laws to go into effect. Uh, so that they can actually go to school and be kids. But that will never happen in New York in this large scale as quickly as we need it. And so they utilize the railroads, which seems so mystical to us now because we never really use them unless you're in a bigger city to move kids out. But we would have just, if it was today, it would be cars and planes and boats and, and you know, <laughs> the normal stuff that we think of today, which they use trains, boats, and wagons. And so the first train load of kids goes out, uh, ironically starting with a boat ride up the Hudson, and they take two boats, two trains to get to Wajiak, Michigan, and 46 kids are placed out. And it's really a shot in the dark of truly planning-wise, anything remarkable about it is just that it's worked. 
And then they realized, oh, there's more and more homes for kids. And what year was this that the first first train was sent out? 1854. And the organization started only a year prior. Okay. They really just kind of went at it. (laughs) And then the next two trains go out in January. The first was in October. Um, And so very quickly, the Children's Aid Society gains ground because they can truly see the real-time effects of taking kids out of New York, putting them into homes, and seeing them prosper. Um, there's good, bad, and ugly to the orphan train. I think that's with any historical you know, moment. Um, but the true intent of the program was to help. And it changes over time. And that's what's so amazing about the orphan train is that it's 75 years. And so you have the Civil War, World War I, you have Spanish-American War, you have, my goodness, so many illnesses in that time period that create this moment that is desperately needed. It's hard, um, but it creates the system that we have today for good or bad. I can't imagine for these orphans what that would have been like, uh, mm-hmm. especially if you are an orphaned child of an immigrant family. If you mm-hmm. came over, you didn't grow up in America, uh, mm-hmm. life already probably feels like an adventure for you. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you are getting on a train and going west to mm-hmm. new lands, <laughs> west yeah. of Mississippi. <laughs> what was it like? Uh, what do we know about what it was like for the children on board the trains? So it really depends on what age you are, of course, you know, there's always going to be a level of excitement and fear at the same time warring with each other. And so with the Children's Aid Society, they place out kids from three months to 22 years old and even full family units. So that experience is broad of of questioning. I always think about it. If you're moving from New York down to, say, Kansas, it gets a little sparse, you know, when you're looking out the window and there, I'm sure there's questions of are they really taking us anywhere? Um, you know, what is the home going to look like? But they're hyped up. You, you know, your mom and dad are waiting for you. You're going to get a mom and dad. Of course, they're going to have to meet someone that is going to take them in. And the system alone, you know, helps with that. But then you have the foundling who only places out infants. So you have infant to five-year-olds. So you can imagine, say, they do bigger placements as well. So imagine 50 infants to five-year-olds on a train. No one's going to sign up for that now. It's only the nuns that could have made that work. I still don't understand. Uh, I saw a letter published on the Complex's website, which, by the way, is a fantastic Ooh. website. There's Thank so you. many resources on this website. Uh, it expressed opposition to the orphan orphan trains. It's a really interesting letter to read. Yeah. What was the general public sentiment when it came to this this idea of of putting kids on trains and sending them out west? I mean, of course, there's that... Uh shocking, you know, aspect to it when people come and, and say for a Children's Aid Society placement where you're arriving, say, 15 kids and you're put on stage, which seems very much like an auction. It's not. Uh, there's no money going around, but there's half the crowd has already filled out their applications because they're excited. Their pastor has talked to them. Their The local committee members have talked to them. They've seen it in the newspaper. But the other half is pure curiosity and also judgment, you know, but that's the beauty of what they did publicly was forcing people with, uh, you know, Catholic guilt or Protestant guilt, either way, it's the same, of forcing you into the situation and saying, well, you have another mouth. You can feed another mouth. You have an empty spot at the table, or you just lost a child. And so that sentiment is very excited. We have many pictures in that time, but on the political realm, there is absolutely an issue. And so you have governors from Kansas, Wisconsin, and other places who put into effect you know, bond systems so that you can only place so many kids eventually. And that comes after about 40, 50 years. But it's also the same sentiment that comes out because they have orphanages, they have poor houses, they have children to care for. So it's easier to fight fire 
with what they consider a fire with more fire and calling kids terrible names and saying that these are not worthy people to come into their state. And they try to force it out. And slowly but surely states do that because they're having their own issues. Chicago is a great example. They start their own orphan trains, but they also receive more kids from New York. But it's this idea that it's more exciting and thrilling to go to the New York placement than it is to go down the street to your own orphanage. Hmm. And so a lot of that sentiment comes from, well, how are we going to care for our individuals as well? Even though really it's not New York's problem or Baltimore's problem. It's everybody's problem. It's America's issue to deal with and help. And so a lot of that sentiment comes from wanting less money spent on the taxpayer basis, which is really anything with welfare. Yeah. Shocker. That's kind of the story of, of, uh, you know, America since then. Yeah. And so is the idea of treating people like others from, from Absolutely. Other areas and stuff. So yeah. Making them sort of feel like outcasts. That's, that's, mm -hmm. uh, very understandable based on even what we see today in society. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. We, we repeat history constantly. <laughs> totally. Totally. Now as, as someone who was adopted, you've already spoken about how this is something that's near and dear to your heart. Yeah. What lasting lessons for current day society, current day uh, social dynamics, can we take away from what we learned about the orphan trains? I think that idea of other, that it, they're just children in foster care, whether they're three months old or they're 17, they want a home. And it doesn't matter, you know, where they came from, you need to take them in, but you also need to nurture that piece of them that was behind them, you know, that is part of them. Uh, I think that's part what the orphan train gets wrong is it's very based in Darwin of you think you can wring out a sponge and then soak up something new somewhere else. And a lot of kids have issues throughout the orphan train because they're dropped into a new, you know, maybe they're Czech and they're coming to a Swedish settlement. And so now all of a sudden they're supposed to be Swedish yeah. and they have to incorporate that into their life. And so there's always that we're always made up of many different parts. And so when I look at foster care and the orphan train, I see a lot of the same language used which is disheartening because people have such a, a negative light on the orphan train for better or worse. Like they just can't get over it. But it's that same idea of, well, it was a broken system, so they must be broken children. And if anything, orphan train riders, my God, they have proven above and beyond that they can change America, but also change lives. And so they're doctors, teachers, lawyers, you know, army men, they're, they're everything. And so to talk that way about foster care and have kids be able to hear it so clearly today? Well, how, if you're coming through a broken system, are you ever going to be not broken? You know, they're not broken. If the system has an issue, that's not their fault. They didn't ask to be put there. They are a child and we need to treat them like that. And the ability for say orphan train riders to prosper is because people gave them that option. And we need to be more than willing to do that for foster care kids and adoptees and any person that we need because we need to stop this idea of, of the other and that somebody's bad because they're not. I really appreciate you coming on the show and, and teaching us about the orphan train. Uh, don't go My anywhere pleasure. because we are going to come back in a minute with my good friend, Eric Diddleman. And for the first time, I'm going to have two different people <laughs> play the quiz a friend part of this show. And we will be back after a break from some of the people that help support this show. I'm excited to be partnered with this company because it's a product that I've used and loved for years. 
Scotty Vest makes gear that looks great and is packed with pockets. And as much as I travel, that's always been a huge perk. But even on years like this one where I don't travel as much, my Scotty Vest fleece is just as useful because I'm always carrying so much stuff with me. My wallet, my phones, my keys, my mask, and there's a pocket for everything. Not only that, they now have an awesome new face mask that allows you to even use a straw while wearing it. Go to scottyvest.com, that's S-C-O-T-T-E-V-E-S-T.com and use my promo code, tell me, all one word, for 15% off your order. That's scottyvest.com and enter promo code, tell me. So many parents are being tasked right now with not only your career and regular parenting duties, but now with trying to help your kids learn. And it's so important that your kids continue hands-on learning from home. Check out Thimble.io. This is an awesome monthly subscription service for middle and high school students that teaches real-world stuff like robotics, coding, and engineering through quarterly STEM kits and online classes. So you and your kids can stay at home, but still have a virtual engineering lab at home, teaching your kids everything from robotics to weather stations to drones from top professionals who've worked with companies like SpaceX, Microsoft, and Apple. Subscribe now and cancel at any time. Go to thimble.io and use my code TELLME, all one word, to get 15% off any subscription. That's thimble.io and use the promo code TELLME. Do you like jokes? How about stories? What about magic tricks? If you said yes to any of those, you'll love my weekly live stream show, Joke Story Trick Live. Every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, we gather to tell listener jokes, do magic, even learn magic, and bring on a special guest to tell a story. We've had everyone from a sitting U.S. congressman to television stars to WWE wrestlers. It's always a great time, and it's a free show. Just go to jokestorytrick.com to watch past episodes or tune in every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's jokestorytrick.com. I hope to see you there. I don't know about you, but this time of year, as it starts to get colder, we love burning candles around the house. Okay, who am I kidding? It's all year round. And our favorite candles are made by Daniel Joseph. They're 100% all-natural soy with braided cotton wicks and fragranced oils. And not only are they handmade in Evanston, Illinois, they're made from all American materials. Because they're made with soy instead of crude oil paraffin wax, they burn clean with no soot and they burn longer. We love the cashmere vanilla, but brown sugar and fig is great too, and you'll just have to go see it for yourself. Go to DanielJosephCandles.com. It's DanielJosephCandles.com. We're going to do something fun for this episode and keep our guest Shaley on the line and call our good friend Eric Dittleman. Eric is a regular guest on the show and co-host of the Mind Over Magic podcast, which is an excellent listen if you haven't visited already. He's a mind reader, and he does the podcast with his friend Matt Franco, who is a Las Vegas headlining magician. Welcome back to the show, Eric. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. This is Shaylee George. She's going to play along with us. She's our expert about this topic. Good to see you, man. Um, I I love the idea of someone coming on the show and not knowing what the topic is. It just fascinates me because the... <laughs> The questions can just come out of out of absolute nowhere. We've made the quiz portion of the show a little bit faster and a little bit more like a game show. Okay. The first question is just for Eric. We're playing this first round for a total of $50 transferred from my savings account to my checking account to be spent <laughs> how I wish. 
<laughs> Your question, by the way, last week with Marcus Monroe, who was our guest, uh, the first question was $50 transferred from my checking to my savings. Oh, so it's just going back. And he won that question. And I put this in here and you better get it right because that way I don't have to do it. Is there that you right? go. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your question. Orphan train refers to which one of the following? A, abandoned strings of train cars left without an engine. B, trains that would collect orphans on the East Coast and bring them West to be placed into homes. Or C, the new name of the band formerly known as Collective Soul after all members except the lead singer quit. <laughs> well, you were definitely right that I uh, had no idea what the topic is or what any of this is about. So uh, this is a pure shot in the dark. And I'm glad you mentioned that I'm a mind reader up top just to show <laughs> that this is not going <laughs> to not reading your mind uh, in this moment because I, I have honestly no idea. Uh, I don't think it's the last one. I will say that. <laughs> um, hmm. Would you like to hear the first two again? No, I know it's either the uh, the abandoned train car or the or the train that brings orphans, and I I don't know which I want this to be or not. <laughs> um, I, I'll just go. I'll go with the train car, abandoned train car. Oh, Eric, the answer is B. Trains that would collect orphans on the East Coast. Wow. So, you know, that it just goes to show here in 2020, it sounds like such a crazy concept, the idea of a train going around and collecting kids. But this actually yeah. happened for wow. 75 to 80 years in the mid-19th century. And Shaley is the curator of the National Orphan Train Complex in Kansas. Wow. And, uh, so their complex basically shows the entire history of this. And we just talked a little bit about the incredible long history of this idea of, you know, you live in New York. You know how overcrowded it is. Yeah. Uh, there weren't enough places to put all of the, the orphans that needed homes. I think when I think of, uh, you know, just my knowledge of orphans, it really just only comes from Dickens and uh, Annie, really. But uh, I, I know it's a more serious issue than than my <laughs> pop culture references <laughs> are led to believe. Well, since you got that question wrong, I guess I actually will have to uh, transfer the money from my checking to my savings that I was supposed to do last week after Marcus won that question. Unless next week. I just hold off and I ask next week's guest the same the same question for the same prize. No, Michael, we're just trying to build up your nest egg. It's good to have money in your savings. <laughs> okay. This question is for Shaylee. If you get this question correct, I will promise to come visit the Orphan Train Complex next time I'm in Concordia, Kansas. Good deal. Uh, maybe <laughs> performing at Cloud County Community College or something. That'd be great. I, I do perform at a lot of colleges under normal in the normal world. Absolutely. We'd love to have you. Brown Grand Theater is a, a theater that was built in 1907. They would love to have you. Uh, so here's your question. Max Maven is the name of a famous mentalist. And if you're not familiar, that's our, our vernacular for mind reader. Okay. True or false. Max Maven is the man's real name. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with false just because a lot of people had stage names. You are correct. It is false. Yeah. <laughs> His real name. And now I will visit the museum next time. I'm in that. What was his real name? Uh, I'll let I'll let Eric answer this. 
he's he goes by only Max Maven now, but uh, in a former life, he may have been Phil Goldstein. Yeah, Maven's much better. <laughs> yeah, he would he would mentioned. put out material under Phil Goldstein, and then mm-hmm. like you know, some people have like a pen name and stuff. But, yeah. Uh, so bonus question: Max Maven's facial hair is one hundred percent natural. True or false? Oh, I think if you have to ask, it's false. Okay, that's that's true. <laughs> uh, okay, <laughs> back to Eric for this one. If you get this question right, I will give you a free plug for Mind Over Magic in next week's episode. You don't even have to be on the podcast, and you'll get a mention. Wow. Okay, so I'm already guessing it's a hard question because you don't want to do that. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> man. I'm happy to support my friends. So this one is more difficult. I I think. Well, maybe not. I don't know. Here's the question. Orphan trains are mentioned in one of these popular movies. Which one was it? A, Guardians of the Galaxy. B, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Or C, Toy Story 3. Oh, um, I've seen all three. It's been a while since Plane, Trains, and Automobiles. I don't... Marvel and Pixar, it seems like a weird fit uh although it could be toy story because <laughs> it's kind of what their deal is as the toys oh boy this is tough i'm gonna go toy story you are correct it is yeah <laughs> i didn't know that that's really cool i could have i could have uh stumped the panel on this yeah. <laughs> uh yeah there is a brief mention of orphan trains in toy story 3 you've each gotten one right but now uh, Shaylee can pull ahead. Shaylee, for a free Tell Me What to Google sticker sent to you in the mail, <laughs> you can normally only get these by being a member of my Patreon, place these historical events in order. A, the final orphan train trip. B, the Dust Bowl rips through the American prairies. Or C, mentalist Max Maven appears on World's Greatest Magic. <laughs> Well, the last train was in 1929, and if I get this Dust Bowl question wrong, Kansas will kill me. Um, but I'm going to go ABC, the Orphan Train Dust Bowl, Max Maven. That is correct. Orphan yeah. <laughs> Dust Bowl, Max Maven. Yeah, in the Dust Bowl, uh, there were many. There were several <laughs> dust storms, but they were throughout the next decade. That was tricky because I feel like Max Maven is timeless, so that could have been any any time. I have to Google Max Maven. This one's important to me, uh, th- and this one is an all play. So, but rather than answer at the same time, you'll each get a chance to answer, but we'll do it one at a time. So the winner wins this week. You win the whole week, and you get to take home this episode, which is a prize worth roughly twenty nine ninety five. <laughs> So we'll go to Eric first. How many chuggas go before Choo Choo? Oh, this is uh, <laughs> this goes into my music background because it all depends on four four time, uh, six eight time. Let's see, chugga 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 chugga. Okay, it's got to be at least four. I know there's people who do less. Uh, chugga 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 chugga. No, three feels wrong. Chugga 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 chugga. Two two could work. I'm gonna go four. <laughs> Now, wait, it's the actual word chugga. Yeah. A bar of two chuggas or four chuggas. So you're right. Chugga, 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 chugga. See, chugga, 
chugga, oh, yeah. chugga, chugga. So you're saying four. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. Chugga, 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 choo-choo. Yeah, four. I'm going four. That's my that's my preferred personal preference. <laughs> Although two, I think, would be acceptable because that would be cut time. <laughs> okay. Okay. Shaylee? I mean, I like your logic. Thank you for working out for me, but I'm going to go two just to make it interesting. <laughs> now, what, what, when you were a kid, what, did, what would you have said if you're imitating? Chugga, a, chugga, choo-choo. You're two. Mm-hmm. That seems too short to me. I mean, <laughs> but Eric, uh, uh, I, I'm sorry to say the answer for me, and it's my show, is eight. <laughs> is what? Eight? Eight? Yeah. So I was closest without going over. Praise okay. the right rules. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you're closest in terms of the uh, metronomic phrase because mine is just doubled. I don't know Wait. if metronomic phrase is a thing, but eight. That your train's never gonna arrive. That's so many. <laughs> He's still off time. <laughs> so the the logic with this is whenever I've always said it, it's very very similar to the Batman theme song, which is which is eight nanas. Oh. It sounds like too many now that I say it out loud. So uh, do I get a point? Or <laughs> did I win the week? I think you each. You each get 0.5, which is, I can't do the math on that. So we're going to give this week to one of you and a previous week of my choosing to the other one. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Perhaps the third week of October goes to Shaylee. This week goes to Eric. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> have both been awesome. And thank you very much for playing the game and for joining me this week. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. <laughs> That's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode, please help me out by leaving a review of the podcast on iTunes, along with a sentence or two. Writing a few words helps a ton to allow other people to listen and to allow other people to tell me what to Google. We'll see you next week. Tell Me What to Google is written and produced by me, Michael Kent. The theme song is by Reed Mathis, and additional music this week was from Asher Falero. You can listen to past episodes by searching for Tell Me What to Google wherever you get your podcasts, and you can see bonus content at patreon.com slash Michael Kent. 